0: You can open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7. We're going to cover all of chapter 7 and part of chapter 8 today. Well, Coach Victoria is the swim coach at Ashley Ridge High School. She's been the swim team coach for my kids on summer swim team for uh, at least eight years, maybe more. I've gotten to know her. We get along well with her as a family. But Coach Victoria is one of those ladies that you do not want to cross if you are on her swim team. You want to stay on the good side of Coach Victoria because she has that fierce side like most good coaches do. In early July, she was trying to pump up her swim team about city meet, which is like the all stars for the swim team for the summer league. She was trying to push them harder. She told everybody, get out of the pool. So they all get out of the pool. She says, only those who want to go to city meet get back in the pool. She's yelling at that point. So all these swimmers jump in the pool. Some of them wanting to go to city meet. Some of them frightened. (laughs) One of my kids that doesn't actually like swimming decided to not jump in and found themselves as the only person out of the pool, which I was commending of like not giving in to peer pressure. But then I got reported later the, the child said, I thought she was going to hurt me. <laughs> the wrath of Coach Victoria can make kids jump in a pool. And it's humorous talking about a coach's wrath, but we found it anything but humorous as we've seen the wrath of the Lord in Revelation chapter 6. 2 weeks ago we saw wrath and judgment of the Messiah the lion lamb as the seals started to be opened on the scroll tribulation and judgment coming upon the earth through seals 1 2 three, and four, punishment for unbelievers, refinement for believers, this normal cycle of life, this side of the cross in these last days that we currently live in, the broken world where peace is lacking, war is normal, economic injustice is not surprising, and death comes after every image bearer. Then seal number five shows the saints under the altar crying out to the Sovereign Lord, how long, how long will the church, the saints, have to endure the oppression of evil people and satanic attack? Revelation 6.11 says, until the number of fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Our sovereign God says it's not time yet. A little longer. Endure, church. There's more who have to perish for my glory and honor. Endure. But as seal number six comes... There's a shift in the seals. This seal is a clear shift toward final judgment. And what we will find with the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, there's this, this word we like to use called recapitulation. You can use that word. It's a fancy word. You can use that at a coffee shop tomorrow. When that Starbucks asks you what your name is, just say recapitulation. See if they can write it on your thing. Recapitulation is different camera angles on the same scene. Imagine we're going into football season, the goal line stand, you look at it from this angle and this angle and this angle. Did the ball get across the line? Was his knee down? Different camera angles is what recapitulation is. They're recapitulation, different camera angles on the same events for the seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. There are a certain amount of seals and trumpets and bowls that take place during the church age, showing those camera angles, and then each of those ends with a final judgment. We know there's not three final judgments, there's a final judgment. So they're speaking of similar events with intensity happening. We'll see that as we go. So in Revelation 6, we end with seal number 6 which is the undoing of creation. Unbelievers are asking for the mountains to crush them, or as Josh so graphically illustrated, it's like the people at 9-11 running back into the towers and wanting the towers to crush them because that was a better alternative than facing God's wrath. That's the intensity. So in Revelation chapter 6, as it ends, there's a powerful question. Revelation 6, verse 17, it says this. The great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand against God's judgments, against wickedness? Who can stand after the seals are opened and judgment comes? Who can stand before God and not suffer the wrath of the last judgment? This is more than the wrath of a coach. This is the wrath of a king, the king of kings. Who can stand? Revelation chapter 7 answers that question. Look with me at Revelation 7, starting at verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, and no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun and the seal of the living God, and called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea saying do not harm the earth or sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our god on their foreheads now heard the number of the sealed 144000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of israel 12000 from the tribe Of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Nephtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar. 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun. 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph. 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word. First point today is this, a pause in the seven seals to seal God's people. A pause in the seven seals to seal God's people. Who can stand in the great day of God's wrath? Chapter 7 answers that question. John sees four angels holding four winds at the four corners of the earth. Most commentators believe this is speaking of God's sovereignty over the whole earth. The number four represents totality, fullness of the earth, and God's full reign. Revelation 7 is not chronological, happening after Revelation chapter 6, but explaining what happens as believers are dealing with the wrath. They're walking in a life of judgment being poured out around them. God is initiating toward his people. God is sealing them on the forehead. Now note that this seal is different. This forehead seal is different than the seals of the scroll that are being opened, even though we're using the same word of seal. What is that seal on the forehead? It both seems to relate to the marking of the forehead from Ezekiel chapter 9, where people who hated sin receive a mark before God uh, strikes the city. They're kind of sealed with something on their forehead. But even more, it speaks of a spiritual protection, much like the blood on the doorposts at the Passover is a mark of protection from the coming judgment. But it's not about physical security. It's a protection of the believer's faith, a protection of their salvation in the midst of oppression and opposition and suffering. These seals help the believers respond with faith in the midst of trials. There's probably a strong link between the seal of the Holy Spirit that the believer has, the empowering grace to walk out faith. In Revelation 14, this same group is referred to as having the name of God and the lamb on their forehead. Look at Revelation 14, verse 1. It's the same group of people. Then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their forehead. So the seal and the name may be speaking of the same thing. What G.K. Beale says is that this seal means authentic ownership. Authentic ownership by God on his people. Saints, you are owned. You are authenticated. You are protected spiritually by God. And one note before we move further, as you continue through Revelation, you continue to see counterclaims from Satan. So God is triune. We'll see a false trinity in the book of Revelation. Believers are sealed with this sign. We'll see the mark of the beast, a false seal from Satan. Jesus has a bride. Satan has a prostitute. You keep seeing these counterclaims of Satan throughout the book of Revelation. Satan takes what is true and twists it. He provides an alternative. He's crafty. So the saints are sealed. And then John gives us a number, 144,000. There are some who teach that this number is only those who are saved. This is the amount of people that will be saved. This is the narrow way. This number is literal to them, and it is limiting to them. But we've got to remember, as we've studied apocalyptic literature, that numbers usually are not literal in apocalyptic literature. Numbers are usually trying to say something else. Like we looked at Revelation 5 when it talked about the 24 elders. That's most likely the 12 um, tribes of Israel represented from the Old Testament, the 12 apostles from the New Testament, the whole people of God represented before the throne. And here in Revelation 7, we've got the 12 tribes but each of these tribes is times a thousand. And a thousand in Revelation means big or long or massive or too great in number. G.K. Beale says it this way In Revelation 21, 13, and 14, the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles together form the foundational structure of the New Jerusalem. Multiplying 12 by 12 equals. 144, representing the entire people of God through the ages. Multiplying that figure by 1,000 reinforces the notion of completeness. All of God's people will be saved. All of them. None will be missing. So rather than seeing 144,000 as limiting, we need to see it as vast, as immense, as innumerable. We get a glimpse of that as we continue the passage in verse 9, where we see a great multitude, which we'll look at in a few minutes. But note that this massive group of people is associated with Israel. These sealed saints are grafted in to the 12 tribes of Israel. So we find that every nation, tribe, people, language are grafted into God's people the true Israel, join the true vine, Jesus Christ. And here's what we need to understand from the 144,000. God's saving work through the Lamb who conquered is extensive. It's massive. God gets done what God wants to get done. It extends to peoples and languages you've never even heard of. But just as there's a warning in Revelation chapter 6, just as we'll see more warnings throughout the study of Revelation, there's a warning here, but we might miss it. To not be part of God's people is opposing the Lamb and asking for judgment. So if you look at that list in chapter, or verse 5 through 8 of chapter 7, there's a tribe missing. Normally, when tribes are listed, Joseph is actually not listed, rather he's represented by his son Manasseh, or Manasseh and Ephraim are kind of together because they're the half tribes. But here we have Manasseh representing a whole tribe, and Joseph representing a whole tribe. So we've got to ask this, who is missing? Anybody know? Dan. Dan is missing. God still has his whole people, 12 times 12 times 1,000. None are lost who should be found, but there's an entire tribe, Dan, that is out. Why? We actually covered this in Joshua, so thank you guys who actually knew the name because I talked about this a few months ago. We found in Joshua that the tribe of Dan didn't really want to walk through the battle of the inheritance like there was this crossing of the Jordan, there's taking down Jericho, there's all this stuff, and, 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 and Joshua's like, all right, let's go, let's do what God's told us to do. And they're like, eh, we're, we're kind of good. And then as you continue Joshua into um, Judges, and in Judges 18, this tribe of Dan, instead of Going to the leaders of Israel, instead of praying to God, they actually find a false prophet. And they want that false prophet, his name is Micah, to make an idol. They hire him to make an idol. They set Micah's idol in God's house in Shiloh and say, hey, this is, gonna, this is who we're going to worship. This idol is what we are going to worship. They put an idol alongside God in the tabernacle. Idolatry cannot stand in God's presence. Idolatry cannot coexist with God's people. So here's the sobering nature of this. Dan is out. Friends, Revelation 7 is extremely encouraging. A massive amount of people around the throne of God, but it's also extremely sobering. None of those who continue in their idolatry will be around that throne. So here's the question. Will you? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Is your only hope in life and death Jesus Christ the righteous? Or are you around the people of God? Are you doing the churchy things, the Christiany things? People look at you like, yeah, I think they love the Lord. But inside there's idolatry. You put idolatry. You come in, and there's idolatry alongside the things of God. And in the end, it proves out that the person is not a believer. Friends, we can worship idols. John Calvin said, we are idol-making factories, it might be our good deeds that we trust to get us into heaven. It might be, might be our niceness. It might be our resume. It might be our abilities. It might be our possessions. We can put all sorts of things up there and think, because I do that well, because this is who I am, I should get a pass. I should get in. No, it's only through Christ. It's only through Christ. None go to the Father except through Jesus Christ, which takes a humility to understand you can't do it. You cannot do it on your own own. Dan couldn't do it on their own, and yet they tried. And friends, for those of us who are in, who know we're going to be around the throne because we've trusted Jesus for our righteousness, who do you know who is not? Who is near to you but far from God? What neighbors or family or friends or classmates or co-workers will be absent? And friends, does that stir your heart? Does that stir your heart? Charles Spurgeon said it this way. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. Let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Friends, let us warn, let us pray in the teeth of our exertions. Friends, let us rejoice at the spiritual protection we have and long for that protection for others, for co-workers, for bosses, for classmates, let us long for that and pray for that, that the gospel may go forward. So the saints are sealed. Idols, idolatry is expelled, but the vision of God's people gets bigger and grander. Point number two, the glorious beatific vision. Look at verse nine. After this I looked and behold, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And we talked about how in Revelation there's different camera angles, sometimes the same event, different camera Verses 1 through 8, we see God's people, this massive people, sealed for God. They're connected to Israel, grafted in. In 9 through 12, we see God's people, the nations, from all tribes and tongues and peoples and languages. No one can number. And friends, this great multitude reminds us of the promise to Abraham. God goes to him in the quietness, in the moments of doubt, and says, look up at the stars, all families, all families of the earth, we bless through your lineage. This is a glorious picture. Now, it may be that the 144,000 in the earlier part of the chapter are like the saints on earth. And this multitude is, uh, of the nations, tribes, tongues, peoples, languages is, are the saints in heaven. That could be what's going on. We're not really sure. But here's what we do know. God is their God and we are his people. All the promises are fulfilled. All the nations are around the throne. Just picture if you will the opening games of the Olympics. The opening games and the opening ceremony you you go you have these nations walking through and you've heard of some of them some of them you're like looking up on your phone like I've never actually heard of that nation before. Diverse flags, different languages, distinct shades of skin color, unusual clothing. But for the Olympics, one purpose, to compete. For these in Revelation 7, one purpose, to worship God. It's incredible. There will be a moment when all tribes, peoples, and languages will be standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is our future. Friends, this is our future. For those of us passionate about racial reconciliation, this is highly encouraging. It will happen fully beyond anything you can imagine. Great, A great multi-ethnic, multicultural, multinational gathering is what heaven is, worshiping the Lamb who conquers. Oh, friends, that gives us confidence. That gives us hope in our prayers. It gives us confidence in missions, all peoples even some of the hardest places to reach will be there the luri and the kurds of iran 7 million unreached people right now there will be some worshiping before the throne and the lamb the danuk of nepal unreached worshiping around the throne the tibetans of china leaving buddha Finding Jesus. This gives great confidence to prayers. This gives us great confidence in our God. And what are they wearing? What are they carrying and what are they saying? Look what they're wearing. They're clothed in white robes. They're covered in the purity, the the righteousness of Christ. This is that bride washed by the water of the word. This is the church gathered in heaven. All peoples united, worshiping before the Lamb. And notice what this multi-ethnic people are carrying palm branches in their hands, symbolizing peace, symbolizing victory. Like when Jesus, as the king on the colt, goes in, Hosanna, blesses the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And notice what they're saying, verse 10. Crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They are gathered because they've been saved. They are gathered because they've been rescued. There's a recognition and worship and understanding of why each of these people is around the throne. The Ethiopians understand they're only there because of the rescuing power of Jesus. The Brazilians understand they're only there because of the rescuing power of Jesus. The Chinese, Nepalese, Taiwanese, Koreans, Liberians, South Africans, and Americans understand They are only there because of the rescuing power of Jesus. Salvation does not belong to Buddha. Salvation does not belong to Krishna. Salvation does not belong to Muhammad. Salvation does not belong only to Jews or only to Greeks. Salvation does not belong only to men or only to women. Salvation does not belong only to rich or only to poor. Salvation belongs to our God. Verse 11 and 12 show this location in the throne room. The angels, elders, living creatures. Verse 11, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Everybody worshiped God. Verse 12 saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It is true. Truly, truly. All is for God. All is from God. All is to God. God alone deserves our worship and praise. Recently I had to get a new guitar tuner on my phone because my guitar app expired that I got like five years ago and they just stopped updating it. You ever had that and you're like, this isn't working anymore. So I had to get a new guitar tuner. Can you put up the first picture? When you, get, you tune the guitar, you've got like this is, I was tuning the A string. Look at the top. It says too flat, tune up. So it's, it's got like what A is and then what my guitar was doing. I've got to align it. And then when you align it, it, ha- it turns green. It's like boo-boop. Boop. So can you do the next picture? Yep. It's like that little thing goes around. It's like boo-boop. Boop. It aligns. Super easy for goof-offs like me playing guitar that are just kind of hacking around. You guys who are sophisticated, who buy apps instead of free apps like me, you can get something cooler. But this just kind of lines up. Boo-boop. Boop. Friends, does our heart line up with what this passage says on the worship? Does our heart line up? Is it flat or is it sharp? If you are reading this text about the worship that salvation belongs to our God, that all might and wisdom and glory and thanksgiving and honor and power belong to our God, does your heart line up? Because if not, you're not quite ready for heaven. This is glorious, and our heart needs to line up, and if our heart doesn't line up, there's some asking and seeking and knocking, like, Lord, help me, forgive me. Oh Lord, do that work in my heart, those areas of my life that don't quite line up. Align my heart, God, with your heart, with your praise, with what's going on in heaven right now. Cause have you asked that? When's this happening? When is this praise? I don't think this is necessarily the praise of revelation five or the future in times praise of revelation 21. I believe just like the ongoing nature of many of the seals, trumpets and bowls of revelation six through 19 that happen in the church age. This is church age praise. That's been happening. That is happening. That will keep happening. These are the saints gathered around the throne who have suffered through the tribulation in the church age. This is now and continuing until the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord, until the new Jerusalem. Look at verse 13. One of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in a white robe? And from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know, which is a great answer, you students who are getting ready to start school. Teacher asks the question, ma'am, sir, you know. I don't think that'll get you a good grade, but it's a great answer. I said, sir, you know. Continue on. It says, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The tribulation speaks of the last days as tribulation, coming through persecution, economic deprivation. This is what the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 are going through. This is now. This is the tribulation of the church age that's been going on that will continue to go on until Christ's return. So Revelation 2.22 speaks of the church of Thyatira going through, quote, the great tribulation. Same words. G.K. Beale says it this way, The great tribulation, therefore, began with the sufferings of Jesus and is now shared by all believers who are, with John, fellow partakers in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance that are in Jesus. And if you don't know what that last little quotation mark is there, that's Revelation nine. That's him saying, this is what we live in. The tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance that are in Jesus. So we aren't waiting for some great tribulation after the rapture. This text speaks of no rapture. These texts speak only of the church walking through severe tribulation. Just a quick side note, but this should probably be more dialogue at another time. (laughs) No one believed the rapture until the 1900s. So if the majority of the church age didn't believe your theological construct, you need to kind of start studying that theological construct if it's accurate biblically. But what has the church believed in the hundreds and two hundreds and three hundreds and four hundreds and five hundreds and six hundreds and throughout the church history? They believe this, every saint is going to know hardship Every saint this side of heaven is going to walk through tribulation. These saints around the throne have been through past hurt, past pain, past suffering, past struggle, and past tribulation. They aren't perfect saints, but they are perfected in the blood of the Lamb. They have white robes washed in the righteousness of Christ. And look at what the saints do. I love verses 15 through 17. What do the saints do? What is God doing? Look at verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So what do the saints do? They worship and pray and sing and praise and honor and serve God all the time because he's worthy. And what does God do to these saints? This is your future, friends. If you know Christ, he shelters them. He shelters them who've lived in a life of hurt and pain. He shelters them with his presence. He feeds them. There's no more hunger. He gives them drink. There's no more thirst. He covers them. There's no more scorching heat. He shepherds them, guiding them by springs of living water. He comforts them, wiping away every tear from their eye. Oh, Friends, that's hope, care, comfort, love, wholeness. Scholars note that John is painting with the palettes of the Old Testament. We've said that throughout our... A Revelation series, he, he has the painter's palette and he dips the brush and paints Revelation. And he's dipping here in Ezekiel 37 and Isaiah 49. Ezekiel 37 speaks of God in the midst of his people. And, and there's almost identical language of 15, 16, and 17 with Ezekiel 37. And then Isaiah 49 speaks of God's shepherding care for his people. This shepherding care doesn't just just start here. It's been what God's been this whole time. Jesus came and said, I'm the good shepherd. He shepherds his sheep. We are his sheep. But we must note that Ezekiel and Isaiah were originally written just for Israel. Now these promises are for all of God's people. All nations, tribes, peoples, and languages all around the messianic king worshiping and receiving much comfort. So chapter 7 answers the question, who can stand in the day of God's judgment and wrath? It is those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, sealed with the Holy Spirit, guarded spiritually by God, gathered together as God's multi-ethnic people. 144,000, a great multitude grafted in for eternity with a unified voice. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. But John's vision does not end there. We're still in the midst of the seven seals. We've only seen six so far. So as encouraging as chapter seven is for the believer, the seventh seal starts with a collective gasp. Third point is this, the seventh seal. Look at chapter eight, verse one through five. This is our last part of the text today. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was... Silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censure and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censure and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. What is startling as this seventh seal is opened is the silence. Silence. That's what we want to understand here, the silence, because what we've seen many times already in Revelation is the there's noise, there's, there's loudness of voices, there's loudness of worship. We saw the four living creatures in chapter 4, verse 8, they do not cease to praise God day or night, holy, holy, holy. We saw in in chapter 6 that the martyrs who are under the altar are praying and singing a song of salvation day and night. The worship goes on day and night continuously, but now it stops. There's silence in heaven. We're, We're to feel the oddity, the eerie feeling of that. Like the solar eclipse where there's an eclipse and everything goes dark and you're like, what? This is weird. Ezekiel, Zephaniah, and Zechariah all speak of judgment bringing silence. Zechariah 2.13, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is roused from his holy habitation. Habakkuk 2.20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. What does this silence mean? For those who oppose God, it is the calm before the storm. You're in the eye of a hurricane. It is a silence of dread of what's about to come. For those in heaven, it is a silence of expectation. They've been praying. They've been asking God how long. The seal opens their silence. They're like, is it coming? Is it now Because the sixth and seventh seals speak of a final judgment. But what's interesting as you read the seventh seal healer verses one through five is there's actually not much detail. We're going to have to wait for the camera angle to change before you actually get much detail about what these judgments entail. The trumpets and the bowls will give more details. But here we just find that It is coming, like fire on earth with peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Isaiah 29, 6, you will be punished with thunder and earthquakes and a loud noise. So what's the emphasis of this seventh seal? I think it's twofold. First is the silence that we already talked about. Second is this, that God's judgment is directly linked to the prayers of the saints. Friends, we've got to get this. God's judgment is directly linked to the prayers of the saints. Remember those prayers of the saints. I've said this a, a bunch already today. Chapter 6, verse 11, they're asking how long. And as we study the trumpets and the extensive detail of judgments next week, we have to keep those prayers in mind. God is bringing his people through tribulation. Tribulation through trials and answering their prayers to eradicate evil people, evil governments, evil persecutors in his patient timing. Scholar Dennis Johnson says this, the war-torn saints of God have their prayers answered. That's a summary of this last five verses. The war-torn saints of God have their prayers answered. Christopher, if you'll come on up. So we come to the end of the seven seals and some clear realities from camera angle number one. Camera angle number one shows that we live in a church age, seals one, two, three, and four, with lots of brokenness. We live and will continue to live in seal number five where past saints call out, pray, plead with the sovereign one to take action, crying, how long? And we await a future of the last judgment and last stand of seals number six and seven, that will be an answer to God's persecuted, marginalized, and hurting people. But we also find our future hope here. For whenever your last breath is in this life, you have a future breath that's to come and you're invited into what Revelation seven reveals. For all who trust in him, all who trust in Jesus, the future people of God, sealed, marked, owned by the king, worshiping him. G.K. Beale says this, the innumerable assembly of nations shows the victorious church in heaven, emerging triumphant from tribulation, not through a painless rapture, but through a faithful death. They have known hunger, thirst, exposure, and tears, but the woes to be released on the world and final judgment on human sin cannot touch those who dwell in God's sanctuary, shepherded by the Lamb to the springs of the water of life. Church, that's our hope. This passage is to encourage us. Saints persevere. Saints, look toward the faithfulness of God. Saints, be faithful because God is faithful to you. Saints, uh, patiently endure, but don't be surprised by opposition. Why? Because God's faithful. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And he deserves all blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. They're all to be to our God forever and ever. Let's close by remembering the faithfulness of God in the midst of this life.